Welcome to X-Rated Movies! Well, we've reached a dizzying high of 130 episodes. That's right, that's right. Uh, This movie podcast by Two Guys Used to Date and Now They Don't is just barreling on. I remember when 10 episodes was a landmark. We're like, we gotta do something special for the big 10. (laughs) Now 130. That seems like a high number now. It does seem like a high number. Like, you know, if you go in a building and you're on the 130th floor of it, <laughs> that's that's a lot higher than the 10th floor. <laughs> yeah. You're, People look like ants. I revamped our season guide on our website. Oh. And now everything's just like a little cleaner, a little bit more precise. And as I was scrolling through, I was like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> wow, we've watched a lot of movies. <laughs> Sometimes uh, when I'm having trouble sleeping... Uh, instead of counting sheep, I just go through every episode that we've done mm. in the movie, <laughs> starting from number one, Beau Travai. I could probably do the first 10 okay, but I think after like 12, I'd probably get lost. Yeah, four, season four and five are a little tough. <laughs> <laughs> it's like trying to name presidents. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can get like the first, you know, four to eight maybe, but... Boy, that that stretch from John Quincy Adams to Abraham Lincoln, you'll die. Yeah. <laughs> you will die. But yeah, uh, this last season, we did a whole guest fest. Oh man, did we ever. 2019 guest fest. I loved it. It it was a whirlwind. Like, I (laughs) feel like I haven't seen you in a long time. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. This feels quaint. Yeah. Just the two of us here. (laughs) Sort of old fashioned and... (laughs) But uh, it's good to have you all to myself again. Not in like a, a I want to scale Bone Mountain sort of way, but like, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. we, we haven't just sat and talked just the two of us on pod for like 10 weeks now, maybe a little bit more. Yeah, that's since June, I think. Yeah, so, so uh, I don't know. It's good to be back in our usual gear here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Also, like, I'd like to do a shout out to podcasts that have guests like every week. <laughs> I don't know how you do it. Kudos to you. Hats off, mm-hmm. sirs and madams out there. It sounds uh, exhausting. <laughs> no, I've been through it. Uh, but I would like to take this time to thank the guests that we've had uh, on. We had the best guests. It we was the did... best guest fest. <laughs> it was. Just high quality guests, top to bottom. Mm-hmm. Uh, we started out with Eric Blood with The Long Goodbye, the Robert Altman film. <laughs> At some point, Eric was just like, "I'm, I'm showing him who I <laughs> My am." My titties are out right now. <laughs> yeah. He put just for our listener. He By put way, his feet up all... on the couch. I'm, he was oh, like, no, "I'm done." I was like laying down <laughs> on the couch. <laughs> yeah, my titties are fully out. Fabulous guest. He was just an utter delight. Uh, we had the uh, Chicago-based duo, the Piece of Pie Pod Boys, Brian and James. Oh Lord! Did you have Malort when you were here? Why <laughs> you shot Malort? Yeah. I don't know. I feel like you would remember it. It's like spiderwebs and sadness. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about that talented Mr. Ripley. Yep. A good queer classic. Sort of a, a, a closeted queer classic. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. it's not known for being that, but it is. Oh, then we had Jessica Baxter. Oh, our linchpin. At first, when you walk into a classroom and look at, like, 26 kids staring at you, it can be one of the scariest things. But you just got up there and you're like, you're a bunch of nobodies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Your taste in movies are for shit. <laughs> for womb. Oh, gross. Which, yeah. Now, <laughs> now I feel all icky again. Way to bring us down, Ryan. <laughs> 
That was followed up by John Coons. Oh, John Coons, that rap scallion. For I Heart Huckabees. Mm-hmm. Um, however, Naomi Watts does get the single best line in the whole movie. Huckabee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it really made me realize that I have not dealt with dread the way that you and John have. <laughs> like, I'm listening to the podcast, and I think John said to me, I don't think you got the right message yeah. from this at all. <laughs> oh, and then we had the fabulous uh, team uh, behind Shoe and Pants Production, Freddie Mullich and Scott Shoemaker. Oh, yeah. For uh, hello again. <laughs> Somehow, Maybe something Zelda that did it. Had. Zelda did it with her crystal ball. <laughs> Gordo! <laughs> Cake, she buttercream! <laughs> and what an ugly hospital, too. Okay, all right, all right. <laughs> I did not realize what a uh, gay camp classic that movie is, because even after we got done recording that episode, I was like, okay, guys, whatever. <laughs> and then we posted it, and all we these people- We got a lot of feedback on that yeah, one. Yeah, all of a sudden, everyone wants to talk about Hello Again. Yeah, people are like, oh my God, Shelly Long. <laughs> so that was an eye-opener for me. And uh, you and I have been saying uh, such phrases as, uh, you, you were, were dead, dead. <laughs> a lot, so- there's a, a power to that movie that isn't uh, immediately noticeable upon watching it. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it sticks with you. Yes. It's like a North Korean chicken ball stuck in your throat. Yeah, it just doesn't come, doesn't dislodge itself. <laughs> then we had the, uh, well, the wonderful Bettina McKelvey on. The one and only. I don't think the world could handle more than one of her. Like, <laughs> And a scene where Mark Ruffalo eats out Meg Ryan from behind for a breathtaking, by movie standards, two and a half minutes. <laughs> Run, don't walk. <laughs> that's, it, that's, it. That's, it, that's it. Came on for In the Cut, Jane Campion's exploration. Take. Yeah, on erotic thrillers. Or sex in the City. Yeah, meets SVU. Uh-huh. And then we had, of course, our, our only straight male guest of the season, <laughs> the Suspense is Killing Us podcast. Oh, man. If I had to sleep with present-day Kirk Douglas versus present-day Michael Douglas. You want him to say, I want your body? I need your body, man. I need your body, Matt. Uh, I mean, there was three of them, luckily. They they helped even out the numbers. But, uh, yeah, it came on for Brian De Palma's Fury. Fuck. I am still thinking about that movie. Yeah. I love it. I loved it. You go to hell. (laughs) And then, of course, Darren Dews. For for Heavenly Heavenly Creatures. Creatures. Mm. I think this is the movie that put him on the map, right? Because he was nominated for an Academy Award. Original screenplay. Really? With Fran Walsh, his wife. Did they win it? No. Who won that year? A film called Pulp Fiction. Oh! (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, that was another uncomfortable movie. (laughs) Like, just lesbianism in that. Like, I always forget how much of it there is. Yeah. Uh, Because the only thing I remember is, like the strong performances and like the sort of weird otherworldly creature design. Yeah. And so I kind of forget about like the harrowing murder and the lesbianism. (laughs) It's always a shock when I see that movie. Yeah. 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 And then of course the fabulous Matt Baum. Yes. What did you guys think of the, uh, the little, uh, 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 prostitute, the cowboy? What a little morsel. And you know, that's another (laughs) thing. I mean, just, a a local intellectual maven, Mm -hmm. uh, who came on for Boys in the Band. He chose it. Yeah. Another Friedkin Another, off the list. Yep. We'll, we'll get all those those on here mm-hmm. sooner or later. We're getting there. We're getting, we've done four now. So. I know. And it's like, you know that we're going to do Killer Joe and The Guardian at some at point. At some point. <laughs> so, 
I think the French connections might be the last one. Yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, but yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. It was just a whirlwind to have them all on. They were all so much fun. I think what I like best about it is that people seem to have genuine fun mm-hmm. being on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it seemed like they got excited to talk about these movies. Like, But yes, uh, when people are here they seem to have fun talking about the movie and it's like you can obviously talk about any one of these movies for an hour or more but there's something about like being confined and like sticking to that topic yeah that uh i think people kind of secretly enjoy it like mm-hmm. being able to pick a movie that they like and really talk about it at length i don't know i got a sense of satisfaction from a lot of our guests because you know, that's one of the reasons we started this is because, like, it wasn't something that we could do normally. Yeah, for sure. There is something about uh, a piece of film that you personally find interesting or attached to for reasons, whether it's, like, the time period you watched it in, like, as a kid or whatever, or, like, um, you know, you watched it at a certain inflection point in your life or something like that. And mm-hmm. that's always that's always makes for good. Yeah, it's talking. like... Uh, you know, Greg Iraqi films or something like that. Like, you know, objectively, some of them aren't very good, but like they just like hit us at the right time. Yep. So like we can show how that comes into our worlds. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but it was good. Good stuff. Yeah. I don't foresee doing it again <laughs> anytime soon. So I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah. Who knows if we ever get an intern that can actually do some work around here, mm-hmm. then uh, we might uh, do it again. Yes. But. Uh, until then let's keep it to like a guest a season yeah uh but we love you all if you're listening right now let's cheers cheers to our guests from guest fest 2019 matt Yes. We're not here to talk about our guests. We're here to talk about a very special lady. Very special lady. And who is that very special lady? The very special lady is the one, the only, Joan Cusack. When was the first time you realized you loved Joan Cusack? Well, I mean, both the movies that we're we're reviewing today were ones that I watched quite a bit growing up. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So she's sort of been like in my mind. Yeah. Like really since I started watching movies. Oh, okay. Yeah, it probably started with our first movie today, Toys, from 1992. Because growing up, my stepfather had an illegal cable box. Okay. So he got pay-per-view for free. Okay. And, you know, this was back in the day when like they would just show movies and you'd have to like be there for when they started Mm -hmm. but it would only show like three or four movies for like a a week or 10 days or two weeks or something so i would just see toys on pretty frequently and then he also like hbo and stuff and it like moved to that so i don't know i just feel like i watched toys a lot (laughs) growing up that's fine i thought you this was the first time you'd seen it but i guess not no no no, i definitely seen it before okay yeah 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 see i did too actually uh i have a memory of renting this movie and the Dennis the Menace movie. Oh, when I was God. out in California visiting my grandparents at Christmas time, and we watched that as a double feature. But like, I just remember really having a pleasant memory of watching toys with my brother. Mm. And so, 
somewhere in my early 20s or late teens, I found a VHS copy of it mm-hmm. at like some thrift store. So I bought it and it was just one of those movies you just have around. So I'd watch it a lot. And I was nervous <laughs> coming into this today because uh-huh. I remember the last time I saw it before this, I was watching it on that VHS tape and was like, I don't like this movie. Well, I mean, let's 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 be real here. It's not a great movie. <laughs> it's not. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't know what your feelings are. I don't think it's a great movie, but man, is it interesting? It is. It's very visually compelling. Yeah, I'll give it that. It's got some memorable lines, most of which I think come from Joan Cusack. Yeah, sure. I sure. think her character is my biggest like takeaway. But yeah, it it just when it's over, you just kind of feel a little like unsatisfied. Well, the movie is very like proto twee. It has that sort of magical realism that you see in in quote unquote twee films, and it's sure. like predating that. But it's like you know, as much as I hate to say it, it's like sort of like if David Byrne is like the godfather of twee, uh-huh. then like this is like born out of like true stories. Almost. I was getting some true story vibes from it this time, yeah. Because I feel like a at least like. A third of the people involved in this movie are like talking head fans or, or, or something like that or Kate Bush fans or something and like dive deep into it and like yeah. tried to influence the movie in that direction. Yeah. Because there's like what is that Kate? Or no, it's Tori it's Amos. Tori Amos song. Yeah. yeah. Which is weird. It reminded me of the Lego movie song because it's like, oh, where it's like the, the actual like happy workers. Yeah. Isn't that happy sounding? <laughs> it's kind of sounds it's weird. I don't know. Well, it's like it's all right. So the movie's from 1992 and I'm thinking like everybody's like happy working and it has this sort of like drudgery song <laughs> and like Tori Amos isn't really known for her like catchy anthems yeah. you know and it does seem odd that like she was mainstream enough to like have an original song yeah. for, because barry levinson like he's not like a great auteur but he has made successful films yeah he was very bankable you know good morning vietnam the natural rain man uh diner uh bugsy was like a year before this yeah or something. yeah so it just seems odd that like tori amos would make what's Almost like a pro-capitalist song. <laughs> Push the button, pull the. Le- it sounds like drudgery to me, though. Like it, it doesn't sound like a happy song. Yeah, it's like be the cog in the machine for me. <laughs> but like all the workers kind of seem happy, and it doesn't seem like a, a Zevo Toys is a like a, a horrible place to work necessarily. No, 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 no. But it's just it's odd that someone like Tori Amos like would write a song that's like. Maybe she didn't realize like the context of the film. Like I can, I could I see know. reading the script and being like, uh. <laughs> she did it with Hans Zimmer. So this is an example of like you know Danny Elfman and Susie and the Banshees coming together but, I <laughs> to mean, make face to face, which is Elfman great. Elfman and Banshees. That's that's a match made in heaven, yeah, right this, there. <laughs> Zimmer and uh, Amos. <laughs> yeah. Not not so much. Yeah. Not doesn't quite it's work. Not chocolate and peanut butter. It's, yeah. Uh, and then later when the like military takes over, it there's like a remixed version that's yeah. like a little more industrial. It's like hoo ha hoo ha <laughs> It's not right it, either. It almost goes into Xanadu territory. <laughs> that last song in Xanadu. Clap, clap, clap. Xanadu. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, because it gets a, like when LL Cool J, who, by the way, ain't nothing wrong with LL oh, Cool J in this movie. God, it, the more ECUs of him, please. Yeah. He's, he's smoking in this movie. Yeah. Gotta say. Uh, but when he starts taking over, they, they do like a hip hop version right. of the song. I was like, oh, that's obviously racist. <laughs> happy, happy, happy. <laughs> but, weird. It's very bizarre. Yeah. So it's just, it's weird that there's this big budget movie with like a bankable director. And of course, Robin Williams, 92. Like The cast is crazy. And I don't know. This just seems like such a mainstream movie. And they try. Like there was this earnest attempt to like do this weird sort of eclectic independent arty thing because like robin williams called this movie national blue velvet <laughs> okay yeah uh, and he made some other like lynch reference to it that was like a child-friendly eraser head or something <laughs> i don't know in in our riddler scale of like yes to question mark, this is firmly like the question mark. Yeah. Or is it no to question mark? <laughs> I th- um, I can't remember the binary scale of like yes or no and question mark. This is like firmly question mark yeah. territory. I mean, first the I'll I'll do some pros. I I do think the sets are incredible. Oh yeah, those still pop and yeah. look great. Like the big uh, factory floor with the the robot head and then the hand, the giant hand and that weird pyramid thing. Like that, that's all great. Um, the house that like folds down and when Joan Cusack goes to sleep in that big duck. Oh yeah, that was cute. The sets are nuts. They look great. And I actually kind of like the Yolanda and Steve video. That's another production element. <laughs> Put a pin in that one. Okay. So, cause I got I have questions about that. Okay. I mean, I like this cast, too. And Joan Cusack is, like, the best part about this movie. I'm, I'm just going to say that right now. All of her lines, she delivers perfectly and hilariously. Yeah, it, you know, because in something like broadcast news, I don't notice as much. But she almost has a way of, like, acting with her mouth that just makes you look at her face. Uh-huh. <laughs> sure. And I don't know if that's intentional or if it just comes out sometimes. But I don't know. She's got kind of just, like, big juicy lips that, like, really... You see the words coming out of them, and yeah. you just kind of like look right at her face whenever she's talking. Yeah. Whereas like Robin Williams, like you know, talented actor, of course, but it's sort of like when he's allowed to be like Robin Williams, he's sort of acting with his whole body. Yeah. So you're not necessarily looking at his face, and I'm like you're watching his hands do something, or you're watching him move around a little bit. But like yeah. Joan Cusack, I just feel like you look right at her face. And so that makes it all the more important the way she delivers lines. <laughs> yeah. I mean, some of my favorites. I love. Uh, when she's uh, having the sandwich with the with the um, the vitamins, the, in yeah, it? yeah, and she starts choking on it. That's just the vitamin B complex. To vitamin E, I really have the problems with. I forgot for a while there. I used to say uh, when like the lights start flashing red, and they go. I wonder what the flashing red lights mean. Well, red usually means caution or beef if it's a bouillon cube. Thank you, Sasha. That helps a lot. I liked when she was eating lunch with her cousin, LL Cool J, and he's complaining about how there's not, like, borders on his, like, meal tray. Yeah. He's like, I'm a military man. I need (laughs) military meals. And John Cusack, uh, or her character, Alsatia. Alsatia. And she's like, You know, you remind me a lot of my brother. It's impossible. We're exact opposite. That's what I mean. He's all silly and soft on the outside, and on the inside, he's really strong, and you're just the opposite. She's so good. You know, never once on this menu have you ever had an applesauce sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) 
Your John Cusack is awfully similar to your Liza Minnelli. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'll just go ahead and have a mayonnaise sandwich again today then. Not to jump too far ahead, but there is a scene where she is saying that she's fine. Oh, yeah. I'm going to be fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I feel like there was no like vocal alteration. That was just her doing it herself. Yeah. 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 I also love like the physical comedy she does when they're testing out the virtual reality helmet. Mm, <laughs> she's mm-hmm. in like a river raft and mm-hmm. she's like, Whoa! Wow! 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 I did genuinely laugh when she's like, This is a bit uncomfortable. He's like, Well, that's supposed to go in your ear. Oh. Oh. <laughs> one last one when they're at the very end when she's like, Well, you'll be back for Easter. Of course. We'll be having eggs. I don't know. She's magic in this movie. <laughs> she was a little shining light in this. You know, I don't want to say like I don't want to like rag on the movie because it's not bad. I just don't want to say that it's good either. Yeah, it really falls in that question mark zone, doesn't it? You know what my problem I think is with it? There's too many toys. <laughs> like, does your staircase need to be a toy? That's just asking for trouble. I know. What if it starts moving and someone falls down and gets squished between the wall and the staircase? And why don't they ever think of the wheelchair people? <laughs> Did you notice how? Uh... In that, like, the rolling hills part, yeah. they have to, like, stop for the duckies to go by. Yeah, the There's toy somebody ducks. standing there with the stop sign. Do you think that's their job? Oh, man. At least part-time. Yeah. What are those ducks doing anyway? They're just running around? <laughs> I, yeah, I, it's like uh, people who have, like, train sets that, like, go through all through their house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm like, what purpose do these ducks serve? <laughs> and I'm a big duck fan. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, it's cute. I'm pro duck here. It just seems like that. It's amazing that they right make in this a walkway. Much... <laughs> no, and they can pay someone to do this. I don't know. Yeah, that's a whole salary you could cut. Yeah, they obviously do not have shareholders like, <laughs> you know, calling the shots here. Right. Yeah, it's just this whole like Willy Wonka ism that they're trying to do with like toys instead of candy. Sure, it's like some studio exec was like, "Oh, let's do Willy Wonka again," but like not actually do it again. You know, what do kids like besides candy? Toys. toys. Yeah, and it's uh, they're crappy toys too. They're just the most old fashioned like Depression era toys. <laughs> Even Al the Alien, which seemed like the newest one that they came up with, it looked like. But Rob like, Williams even says, like, you were never a big seller, but you're yeah. here today. What kid wants that? I don't know. All those toys were just, like, yeah, the, like, standard wind-up, one-movement toys. Yeah. Uh, at the very end, when you see the kids playing with them, they're kind of like, Ugh. Yeah, it's, like, the toys that, like, some Dickensian derelict <laughs> would, like, look in, like, a shop window and really want is, like, some rich kid had it bought for them. <laughs> There was one where it was just a girl, like, hunched over, like, bouncing a ball. <laughs> like, what What the fuck? Well, what about the one that was, like, the little girl with, like, the dog biting her butt or something? And all <laughs> yeah. it did was, like, run. I'm like, really? Who wants that? What? I just, these things don't really spark my imagination, I guess. I could be jaded or cynical or something, but, boy, if I, if Christmas morning came along and I opened up that box and it was a fucking little baby with a dog biting its butt. <laughs> that you wind up. <laughs> And it runs for about 40 seconds before I have to wind it up again. Man, give me those cool video games that the that the kids were playing with the, like, curve-around screens and the oh, VR guns. That looked awesome. That did look... Like, I remember as a kid thinking that, that was, like, a really impressive scene because it seemed so modern and there's yeah. all these old-fashioned toys. And even now, I was like, it looks kind of badass. These, like, ultra-curved screens that, like, yeah. envelop you. Yeah. Yeah, I was with it. And your guns are, like, they are, like... VR in front of you, like yeah. a hologram or something. Pretty cool. Yeah, no, it was cool. 
Sorry, uh, not to go on the like warmonger <laughs> side, but <laughs> it's got some ideas. Michael Gambon, whose play, whose uh, his character's name is uh, Leland Zevo. Yes, you, modern listeners might know him as a uh, Dumbledore. That's right from the Harry Potter movies. Yeah. Um, he's been in a number of other things, but that's probably what he's most known for these days, at mm-hmm. least. I did like at the beginning when he's talking with his dad about his accent, and he, oh, he, yeah. he tries to do an American one. You men stand over there. Or a minor tension until further notice. They didn't buy it. I also, I don't think I ever noticed in this, until this viewing, but that scene also where they're talking, because his dad kind of mumbles, you don't really understand what he's saying. He's like, he says, One of my own men tried to frighten me. Oh, you see? I'm thinking of the cut. No! No, I said Frag me! I tried to shoot me! I mean, good on that general. He's, like, game for it. Yeah, big cock. Was it, yeah, <laughs> was it a big one? <laughs> so, uh, on the topic of the cast, you know, Michael Gambon, of course, acclaimed British actor. Uh, there's also Robin Wright. Like, I love to death in House of Cards, but for whatever reason, like, that's, like, what my mind makes of her. Mm. I don't recognize her in earlier stuff. When I think of, like, Princess Bride, like, mm-hmm. I can't envision her oh yeah that is her isn't it yeah or uh uh forrest gump like i don't envision her in it oh yeah that's her isn't it but like if you say house of cards i'm like oh yeah i know what she looks like yeah good point yeah does she have a southern accent in real life or is she putting on for this movie i want to say she has a real life southern accent okay okay because it felt very natural because she had one in forrest gump Right. So it would make sense if you cast a southern lady for mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. But I have no idea. Okay. But she's actually a pretty good foil for Robin Williams' character. I like when she does the dolphin noise. Getting the tuna? I hope that's dolphin safe. A, great dolphin impression. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it also kind of like seems to come out of left field a little bit. Like I don't think Robin Williams was expecting it. The audience wasn't expecting it. And so it's a good laugh moment, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There and I, I kind of buy their, their romance a little bit. Yeah, it doesn't seem important to the movie though. No, it doesn't. They spend a lot of time on it. <laughs> yeah, uh, but no, it's like that's just not what the movie needed. I guess. Yeah. This time watching it, I was a little worried because it is like it's two hours or is so. Is it that long? It's okay. pretty long, but uh, it makes sense like scene to scene. I was trying yeah, to think of like absolutely. what could what could you cut, but it it actually. The story that they want to tell, it does like every scene makes sense moving together. So yeah, I don't know if, like, what you get rid of. Yeah, and it's like even the stuff that's a little like featherweight because it's like you get like when uh, uh, the the lieutenant is in charge and he's taking up more and more space. You could presumably get rid of the vomit room scene right. and still understand that he's taking up more space. Right. But that vomit room scene is pretty choice. I got the impression that that was just uh, uh, improv. But, like, they obviously didn't improvise the room like, no. and how it closed in. And, like, that's what I liked about it. It's, like, when I was at home and, like, stoned and watching it and just, like, the room slowly closing in and, like, them yeah. all just, like, adapting and, like, getting on top of that little table. I was just like, holy shit, that's, like, some work that they had to put into this scene. Yeah. To me, I'm like, you know, presumably you could cut this. Mm-hmm. Save. It's not a short scene. No. Um. And that'd be a place to like cut for time. But I just like them talking about the uh, racial bias in vomits. <laughs> yes, can we cater to Asian people, please? That would make me very happy. 
I feel like any place that like you could cut because it was extraneous, you'd sort of lose a little bit of the magic in the movie. Yeah, that's true. Like it would take away a little bit from the the uh, surrealism. I already kind of struggle with that with the movie. I'm not just like totally soul. Like if I watch Willy Wonka. Like, I can suspend disbelief, but it's like when the house folds out in the beginning, like yeah. a storybook. I'm just like, no house could operate like that. <laughs> also, that's like everything's just in the middle of this huge field. Yeah. Like, nothing is anywhere, really. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of weird. Yeah. Like, there's they never really, like, get to a city or anything like that. Or... Yeah. Where are these toys being sold? Where are these children coming from? Yeah, they're, because they're bussing in kids for these war games. So they got to yeah. come from someplace. Yeah, it just seems odd to have that one-lane road <laughs> to this factory in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, because it's like even when they're driving back out to civilization, like LL Cool J like jumps out of the car, right. and like does a reconnaissance home, right. I liked his couch camouflage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was just like, oh, wow, good job. For some reason, it kept, uh, kept reminding me of Gene Parmesan. Oh, yeah, totally, <laughs> totally. Whenever he came out, I wanted to be like, ah, <laughs> I knew it! Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> okay, so what did you think of the big, like, final sequence with uh, the toys fighting? It was just lame. Yeah. Like, talk about anticlimactic. Yeah. It sucks, too, because it... That really feels like it should be the moment that this movie like takes off. Uh-huh. Like it really turns into a war movie at that point, or supposed to. But I mean, the problem is like the Zevo toys are so weak and ineffectual. <laughs> yeah, it's just a slaughter. And it's like they all know that it's going to be a slaughter. Yeah. And they go out there anyway, which maybe there's some deep philosophical like zen of, of war mentality behind it. But boy, it just kind of seemed like he was destroying toys just like, I don't know. Yeah. There's one where like a bear gets its head half its head blown off. Yeah. And then an- another one comes up and is like <laughs> on it and it's like that's oddly affecting. Yeah, but I mean like, there's some sad stuff because like a lot of these toys have like a anthropomorphic quality to it. Yeah. Uh that you know they look and sound a little humanistic but but it's also supposed to be funny sometimes. Like one of the uh like the crocodile catches a missile and then like, goes bull. Yeah. So it's like, what do you want us to feel? I don't get it. Uh, yeah, I couldn't really decide what to feel either. And it's like by the time we get to the ending, it just doesn't feel super duper climactic. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's weird. And I mean I hate judging a movie by its ending, but it's like, boy, if you if you don't have a good ending, I just don't know how to like feel when I walk away from the movie. Yeah. And the sea swine shit, like... Oh, yeah. What's like, that about? I remember not understanding it as a kid, and I watched it this time, and I was like, I still don't really... Because un- there's nothing toy-like about the sea swine. Like, it's a giant slug. Like, a giant yeah. sea slug is what it looks like. But it's a robot slug. Like. Yeah, that can shoot missiles. <laughs> yeah. And... What would that toy be? Like, how could he put this as under the guise of a toy? You just, like, ride a slug around? <sighs> I don't get it. Yeah, I don't get it either. And, like, that's a really underdeveloped part of the movie because, like, Robin Williams falls into that well where the sea slug is. Yeah. And he escapes somehow. I don't remember how, even though everyone's like, shut it down. But, it, yeah, that's one of those things, like, watching it as a kid, I remember being like, that's just, it just doesn't seem very toy-like. Yeah. And then, like, it's, you know, the, the big ironic defeat is that, that the lieutenant is taken down by the his own slug. device. 
Yeah, and it's weird because we've there's no other hints that that's the kind of stuff he's developing. Like no. he's, the video games we get, the Tommy tanks and the hurly burly helicopters, that all makes sense. Yeah, but this slug. Yeah, it's out like, of nowhere. I don't get it. You could say that like he was, I don't know, the the lifelike nature of this sea slug was so contra to the the toyetic nature of the other things that they're making that's like supposed to illustrate like how far removed he was from the values of zevo toys but i just don't yeah i think i'm like i know i'm reaching with that theory like I, i'm not putting on mm-hmm. airs here okay body of sound. oh the body of sound that was the next thing i wanted to talk oh, about oh the coat yes the body of sound coat that was funny yeah by that coat <laughs> This is our new body of sound code. It works by Mercury switches and movement. And I also like because like he's like making a nuisance in that meeting room, Uh and then the moment he walks out, he just turns it off. Like I've been a bad little boy. (laughs) The first time I saw this movie, that was one of the like one of the happy moments I had with my brother because it was uh, when the jacket shouts, "Got the feeling." Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I wonder if the jacket actually is doing those noises, or if that's all just like a sound engineer. I don't know because I feel like uh, the like the got the feeling thing. He makes the same movement with it. Yeah, I think it's real. I think it would behoove an actor like Robin Williams to be able to interact with it in real life. Yeah. So yeah, I'd like to think that it really made those. Sounds. I'm gonna choose to believe it's real. There's the smoking jacket, the smoking jacket. which has got to be the most obnoxious toy in the world, <laughs> and should never be sold to anyone ever uh, under any circumstances. Uh. Unless you're like a magician and you need to like escape in, you know, a divorce hearing or something, just poof. <laughs> That's going to come with a do not use in an enclosed space warning. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, that thing was fucking obnoxious. <laughs> but, yeah, so Michael Gambon's like creating this, like, what's essentially like Ender's game. Yeah. Like, it's, sure. it's video games, but it turns out the video games are, like, real-life warfare. Mm-hmm. So he's got, like, his own little Ender's Game scenario going on in here, which I think is something that, like, it's like drone warfare. Like, yeah. it's basically what they're trying to do now. It foreshadows it. Yeah. For sure. I mean, I'm sure that manless aircrafts have been a wild hair of the military for years and years and years and years and years. Yeah. But, you know, from a video game, it's hard to detect wind patterns and things like that and how to you know adjust the needs of the machine that you're in without right. actually being in it so it's difficult but uh it's more than just playing a video game yeah yeah, yeah. but i don't know it seemed like he was onto something yeah he tries to sell these ideas to the, the actual military right that's when they have that weird meeting yes and uh he ends up strangling him like the skeletons strangling each other yeah which is a scene i always remember from as a kid because I remember it, it, like, it clicked with me because the skeletons, like, their bones don't touch in the right. x-ray. Like, it stops where, like, the flesh would be. Right. And I always found that fascinating as a kid. And it's kind of cool to watch now. Yeah, it's actually pretty good uh, CGI. Yeah. I'll give it that. And one guy's got, like, a scalpel still inside him. Right. <laughs> That's not good. That clamp. <laughs> yeah. So the guy who plays Zevo Sr., like, the dad that passes away. Yeah. That's the dude from Singing in the Rain. Not Gene Kelly, Xanadu. Xanadu. Not, uh... Debbie Reynolds? Not Debbie Reynolds, but the other guy. Oh, the guy who does, like, the wall flip? Yeah. Oh. That's fun. I was like, I can't think of a single other movie he's been in. (laughs) But yeah, that was him. Hmm. I thought while watching it this time, because this is around the same time as, like, um... 
death becomes her uh-huh. and stuff that his death is played for laughs because he has the beanie and it's hooked to his pacemaker and once the the spinny propeller cap stops like that's the sign that his pacemaker is stopping or something how like, does a pacemaker stop uh like it runs on batteries He's a toy maker. Shouldn't he be flush with batteries? Yeah, he has good batteries because the barrel of laughs, apparently, like, good batteries in that. Boy, those are great batteries. He also doesn't seem sick at all, but they're like, he could go at any minute. Yeah, well, then, like, the light in his beanie comes on. You kind of see the life come out of him Uh a little bit. But, yeah, other than that, I don't know, he seemed largely okay. And he wanted to die at his factory. That's just where he was. A true capitalist. Hmm. Rare film appearance by Yeardley Smith. Oh, my God. I can't believe we've made it this long without talking about her. I think maybe a little ornamentation and earring or something would bring attention to them if these people are missing it. Like, she's only got, like, two or three lines, I feel. But it's just she's so rarely in a movie Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that, yeah, it's like she's in this and, like, Legend of Billie Jean and, like, I can't think of anything else. (laughs) But I feel like they're improving that scene, too, where they're just, like, doing toy prototypes. I can't remember exactly what they're talking about. But, uh, yeah, I think that was improv, too. And then another real bit part, but Debbie Mazar as the nurse. No, Like, I think she's got, like, a line. You're free tonight, Debbie. Sure, Leland. I I almost didn't recognize her because I saw her name in the opening credits. Like, she's big enough in the movie to, like, get, like, billing in the opening credits. But, like, yeah, she's only got, like, two lines and of, like, no consequence. No. Uh, Listeners out there probably best remember Debbie Mazar as Spice in uh, (laughs) Batman Forever. Right. I don't remember her in anything else, to be honest. Uh, she has been in oh Empire, Empire Records. Records, and she was in Nowhere. Well, yeah, but, I mean, she's barely in Nowhere. Yeah, about as much as she's in Toys. Yeah. But, yeah, so this movie, it's got a, it's got a just sort of bananas cast going on. And the script itself... I mean, I could see how it would be, like, a difficult read, but I could also see how, like, if you were a director, especially if you, like, thought yourself to be an auteur, uh-huh. that you'd want something like this. Like, if you were presented the chance to, like, make something as potentially iconic as Willy Wonka, like, I'd probably take it, too. I read that Barry Levinson, this was, um, this was the first movie he wanted to direct. So, like, it took him, you know, six or seven movies that he to prove that he could make good bank movies. Oh, so like the script had been around that long? Yeah, he'd been like working on it since then. Oh, wow. So, yeah, he finally made it, and it it must have been heartbreaking to find out that like no one really liked it. (laughs) Well, I don't know. Was it a bomb? I didn't look up any statistics like that. It was a bomb, yeah. It also feels a little cheap because it came out at Christmas time. Oh. So it's like, let's do a movie about toys at Christmas time, and there's that Christmas song... Like, the whole opening scene is, like, Christmassy. Yeah. And, like... It yeah, just, that is a little cheap. It feels a little saccharine, and... It's, I, like, the family's all together, and, like... I don't know about you, but, like, in the early 90s, I feel like Christmas was a bigger deal. Yeah. Like, I feel like you traveled home... Like, it was required to travel home mm-hmm. on the holidays to see family. And it's like, well, what are we gonna do? Let's all see a movie that, like, the kids can come to. And other yeah. than the big cock line, like, this is a family-friendly <laughs> movie. Although I, if, I mean, when I was a kid, yeah, I didn't. The takeaway, you just feel kind of gross and empty afterwards. Yeah, it's, it's not a, a real satisfying ending. By it's, it's like opening a, a 
big gift from under the tree and finding out it's just some like little girl with a dog, dog biting, biting her butt. butt. <laughs> You're like, oh, oh, well, Great. next year. <laughs> and there's something too about like like war stealing innocence from people that like it's a, a through line that never really gets resolved. Or I just thought it was odd that it was like making this case that like unfettered capitalism and the military industrial complex are mutually exclusive like you can't mix the two yeah. otherwise bad things happen i mean i mean bad things do happen but it was like these are competing ideologies not like symbiotic ideologies i was like i don't know if the person who wrote this really thought that through <laughs> yeah good point i you know what i think one of my favorite lines from the movie is it's in the vomit room scene why do we have coconut and mushrooms here this is diarrhea this doesn't belong here we'll send over to peter in the poop department i did laugh out loud a couple times yeah i did too like Like, i genuinely laughed that opening funeral procession where he's like we'll take dad's car and it's a bumper car Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. i don't know why that's so funny but it really works and like they're actually like bumping into the car's butt and like (laughs) getting serious that made me laugh the whole deviled eggs thing was funny yeah, that uh, was funny. And that was like another scene where Robin Williams was sort of improvising. Maybe they really are deviled eggs. Look at that. They're possessed. the Diablo. Save yourself. Get away from here. You must go from here. Quickly. Get some toothpicks. Make a cross. Don't you see what's happening? So, all right. The music video. Okay. Steven Yolanda. Steven Yolanda. I guess the song was written by Thomas Dolby. Yeah. Which, you know, cool. Cool, cool, cool. Can we walk through the mechanics of their scheme here? Okay, so it's like they're trying to fool the security guards to get into like a restricted access area of right. Zevo toys. Right. And Owen puts a little faceplate over one of the security screens and change it from like Corridor 4 or something to MTV. Right. And Robin Williams' character, Leslie, and then Joan Cusack, uh, Alsatia, push this screen down this hallway the screen that is like perfectly measured to like just hug this hallway yeah well it's a mirror first so they yeah, can push well, it down so i thought like is it a mirror or is it projecting the image of the hallway like, i thought it was just a mirror because then it like folds down and then that's when the set comes out oh okay that yeah. would probably make the most sense so yeah it's like a mirror <laughs> that's perfectly fitted for the dimensions of this corridor it folds down. There's a set, and it's like a green screen type thing. Yeah, with a projector behind it. Yes. Yeah. And it goes into this music video, and it's like a full-on early '90s MTV music video. It's pretty cool, actually. I kind of like it. I'm I'm kind of with it. <laughs> it's got like a Talking Heads vibe to it, and it does like the full like Beavis and Butthead thing, where it's like at first they're watching it, but then it like jumps into like what you are now watching is the music yeah. video and it's got the little text in the corner saying who it is uh-huh. what's really weird to me is like why didn't they just stop with the mirror like if, yeah, the, if so, the, act, the place they're getting to is right behind them like you push the mirror in you're good why yeah. draw attention to the fact that you're there yeah so like that was my main question is that so I thought that maybe they needed those guys to look at that screen because as they were going through different restricted areas, they would be seen on those cameras. So it was like they, they were dependent on the security guards looking at the music video. Wow, that, that puts a lot of pressure on making a really compelling music video. Yes. <laughs> it's got to be good. It worked, though. <laughs> no. Both guards are like, who is this? <laughs> I like it. <laughs> And then later they're listening to it, uh, those other military yeah. guys. Yeah. 
They're like, we love it. <laughs> so, I mean, good job, I guess. Yeah, Yolanda and Steve, they got a big military fan base. <laughs> yeah, good. Big with the troops. Wow. I never Yolanda thought about that. Yolanda and Steve on tour now with Kid Rock. <laughs> but it's like, while the video's playing, like, Rob Williams, like, sneaks through the projection screen somehow. I don't know totally don't know how, how that, that happened, but yeah. slips out, and then he goes, like, through that corridor, and that's when he, like, runs into the sea slug, right? Yes. Meanwhile. How does he get out of there? He gets, like, sucked down and then just, like, cuts to him, like, walking away all wet. Or, no, it doesn't cut away, but it's, like, LL Cool J is, like, after him and he sees the wet footprints. So they don't actually show him getting out. Hmm. But he did somehow. He did somehow. Okay. Unless you're going to, like, say that, like, he actually died. And, like, all <gasps> and they the made a robot of him? Event- well, I was going to say all the preceding events is just, like, his, like, death fantasy. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, like, he didn't actually win. It was just a death fantasy. Oh, wow. I don't think that... <laughs> That's fine though. <laughs> Maybe this whole movie's just a dream. Yeah, it, when the father dies, everything <laughs> that happens after <laughs> is a dream. Yep, it's like Schenectady, New York. It's uh, you know, this is the last thoughts running through his head before he uh, becomes an elephant and flies away. But yeah, I don't know. Toys overall, yes, no. On a on a, <sighs> you know, I'm not gonna recommend it to anybody. No, it's too, no, I think it's too even as a curiosity. It just leaves me feeling kind of icky when it's all over. Like, yeah? just empty. Yeah, I feel I feel really empty. I don't know if I, I necessarily feel empty, but I definitely just don't feel satisfied. Mm-hmm. For all the time they took to make this movie, it needed a little more work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's all I can say. I think I would recommend it, not as like a first tier, like if someone was like new to movies, would be like, oh, well, you got to see toys. Mm-hmm. And probably not even like a second tier of like the, this is like the secretly good movies. This is probably like the third tier of like, well, now that you have a lot of movies under your belt, now you can kind of see what weird movies look like that make you question other movies. Yeah. I don't know. Sometimes you only know how it's done right when you've seen it done wrong. Yeah. Good point. And I think this is like Willy Wonka. This is. Uh, uh, true stories done wrong. Yeah. Anyway, Joan Cusack's great in it, though. She is very good. <laughs> she gets blown up at the end. She does. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> Sadly, she was not in this movie enough, though. No, I, I know. But honestly, whenever she was, I was, I was excited. Her, even just like her costume designs were always super interesting. Like more interesting than any of the other characters. Yeah. She's great. She's great in this movie. But you know what else she's really great in? Maybe even better in what Adam's Family Values. Uh, we just going into Adam's Family Values. We taking a break. We'll take a break. Okay. super articulate anymore <laughs> well he's very articulate it's just he's not very concise okay like he definitely says what he wants to say he gets the point across eventually like n- never has so little been said in so much sometimes <laughs> but he does get it out there yeah but the, the, isn't that the definition of articulate 
that to a certain extent. Uh, brevity is not his strong suit, maybe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But no, he just he just lays it out there. Like he gets a uh, he finds a thought and he chases it, no matter how Weirdly. circuitous or scenic the route may be. We're talking about his um, Conan O'Brien appearance, right? On the, yeah. The, yeah, okay, yeah. Usually just one word. This is like two minutes. It just kept going and going, and like he'd pause and like take a breath and then go some more. <laughs> but it was perfect. It's like the whole point is to like, you know, you have this little bracket of space in order to like be unique, and uh, he was unencumbered by tradition. Mm-hmm. Like that just wasn't part of his calculation for it. Yeah. And I like that. I appreciate that. Yeah, he's in his own little world. He is in his own little world. We're talking about Jeff Goldblum. We are. Hashtag justice for Goldblum. He's never got his Academy Award. What would he get an Academy Award for? Well, A, The Fly. He's sure. fucking brilliant in that. Sure. I think he should have gotten Best Supporting Actor for Jurassic Park. If you don't know Jurassic Park, you don't know shit. Those two things. He's got a swagger that I'm on board with, and he's got a natural comedic timing that I think is is very choice. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so like Jurassic Park, that it's exactly what a supporting character is supposed to do, mm. just perfect. Mm. And like there are scenes of just like him talking to Sam Neill, and he's fucking like carrying the whole scene. Like not like I don't, I'm not bad mouthing Sam Neill, but Sam Neill's supposed to be boring in comparison to the two of them. And, you know, Jeff Goldblum is just, you know, putting in eye drops, talking about how he loves kids. And it's like, that's a movie. Yeah. 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 Charisma. Yeah. That's what you call that. <laughs> He's got it. Yeah. Oh, this one's better than the rosé. Yeah, that rosé was awful. Not good. So. Here's an anti-commercial for you. Dark Horse Rosé. Stay away. But Dark Horse Savon Blanc. Uh... But donk a donk. I got nothing. I got nothing. Yeah, what rhymes with blonk? Shonk, bonk, conk, donk, monk, wonk. <laughs> this is a great pod. <laughs> Welcome to the Things That Rhyme With Blonk podcast. <laughs> Today we're on cue. Well, quonk. <laughs> What's a quonk, man? Uh, it sounds like that rosé I won't drink. <laughs> Quonk, quonk. <laughs> yeah, or it sounds like the noises that a, a adult in peanuts makes. Anyway, it's good. Get the blanc, not the rosé. Yeah. Go That's... cart blanc on the blanc. Hey, there you go. Okay. Rhyme blanc with blanc. Good job. <laughs> Matt, we just did a movie uh, that's directed by Barry Levinson. Yeah. But now we're going to do a movie that's directed by a different Barry. Barry Sonnenfeld. Barry Sonnenfeld. What's that movie that we're doing? Adam's Family Values. And you better have the slowest, biggest, unpinning sound bites ready. Okay. Because w- l- about a year ago, when we did our Angelica Houston of fun. Uh-huh. <laughs> Good. But that only took a year. <laughs> you said we will do Adam's Family Value at some point. Uh huh. And said to put a pin in that one, listener. <gasps> oh, my god! So you got to pull that pin out now. <laughs> I'm going to need your help here. It's a big one. <laughs> ah! <laughs>
Wow. Yeah. This movie's a delight. It's pretty good. I think I like the first one better. Mm. You have to make a case for that. Okay. So it's not like miles ahead, but the first one and, and, you know, go back and listen to episode 90. Yeah. God, the Uh, 90th floor seems like quaint (laughs) at this point. And we talk about how like with Adam Sandler, you really have to largely be okay with one type of joke. Mm -hmm. Otherwise the movie's just not for you. Yeah. And like that joke is like the Adams do something weird and like, they're okay with it and like nobody else is. Right. And in the first movie I think they hit that sweet spot of like just like not too conservative of a joke, not too far out there into weird territory, just getting it right each time. Mm-hmm. And this time the Gomez Morticia relationship stuff, I think those jokes go a little too far into the wacky area for me. Mm-hmm. Like when they're like dancing at the restaurant and like he spins Morticia and like fire comes That's exactly out. Exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. And like the champagne bottles. I'm like, it's just a little too far in the wacky element. Okay. The stuff that was funny about like the sibling rivalry in the first one that we were laughing at, like mm-hmm. Wednesday asking Pugsley, like, is there a God? Yeah. The stuff with Pubert doesn't land with me at all, like oh. the bowling ball stuff or... You're a little worried for Pubert. <laughs> it's just a baby. The guillotine stuff, like it just, it doesn't stick with me. I was thinking that the guillotine was a little macabre. <laughs> it's like, okay, this is a baby we're talking about. So it's sort of like the, the old hat stuff, like the jokes that they're sort of bringing in from the first movie didn't land with me as well but the new elements i feel work very oh, well yeah uh, i love all the camp stuff yeah so the the, the kids at the summer camp is gold uh-huh. like that's just great fun movie making right there and then of course the stuff with the lady of the hour joan cusack anytime joan cusack is in the movie it's a movie worth watching yeah and she is hamming it up in this oh She's chewing the scenery. <laughs> like, this is her last chance to act <laughs> like in a movie. She's going to die tomorrow. She's making a meal out of this role. I love it. <laughs> so, like, toys, she's good, but, like, she kind of knows her place. It's, it's a, a more support- subtle performance it, for her. She's in a yeah. supporting role, and, like, she's there to, like, illuminate the scene but not steal the show. Yeah. Whereas this, I'm, I feel like she's like, I'm stealing this show. This is my movie, bitches. <laughs> I almost feel like that was the direction she got was, like, uh, you need to be the biggest person in mm-hmm. the room. And... 100 percent like she nails it she owns it nails it (laughs) this is her movie i mean this cast is already like comfortable in their in their clothes and in their shoes and everything and uh they're great but she comes in and it's just like nope yeah this movie's about her yeah i mean i think she like even though it's technically i think a supporting part i think she has as much screen time as anyone else oh yeah she's in this movie a lot and so like, it's weird to think that she's, like, the star of the movie, but I bet if we were to, like, count it, her screen time would be comparable to any of the other characters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, I mean, it's a, it's a big ensemble cast. So, I, I mean, the, the stuff that I love about the first one, like the Morticia, Gomez, you know, hashtag uh, life goals relationship stuff, I don't buy it as much this time. Mm. But it's like we're introduced to Joan Cusack, and she's like, Isn't he a lady killer? Acquitted. Which is admittedly like a predictable joke, but like there's the dynamic between the two of them that's great. Yeah. It's like she brings in a fresh energy to sort of these like old jokes at this point. Yeah. 
I loved, uh, like in a similar vein, I love when they go to confront her at her house and uh, Morticia's like, You have enslaved him. You have placed Fester under some strange sexual spell. I respect that. So again, it's that same joke. It's that same <laughs> joke, yeah. This is written by Paul Rudnick. I uh, just want to point that out. He's actually a pretty funny guy. He's, mm. he's a gay. Mm. And um, I've read a bunch of his uh essays and things mm. like that he's he's sort of like a more flamboyant uh david sedaris oh okay so yeah he's pretty good yeah so i mean any scene with joan cusack is 100 percent worth watching oh, yeah. just it's so good there's just little things like when she's watching that like america's most wanted or whatever and she's oh. just like eating chocolates and like watching herself on yeah. television tonight on america's most disgusting unsolved crimes we investigate the case of ursula Carmen and Nadine. Three very different women with one thing in common. Murder! I just kind of loved it. Like, her just lying in bed eating chocolates? <laughs> That's sort of a movie for me. <laughs> I really love it, like, when she blows up the house and oh. uh, she gets out of the car and she's like, help, help, help. Help. <laughs> help. Help. One thing we have to mention is that Granny got replaced in this one from the uh, the original one, and it's Carol Kane, mm-hmm. who love her, love her to death. She was in um, Princess Bride. Princess Bride. Liar! When a stranger calls. We trace the call. It's coming from inside the house. And um, Jawbreaker. <laughs> and she, most recently, she's been in like Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt right. and things like that. But so she's still around. But yeah, uh, she any good in that? Yeah, she's pretty good in that. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. So yeah, which uh, yeah, I don't I don't remember who played the granny in the first movie, but so Carol Kane, pretty seamless transition. Then so all right, Joan Cusack of course is yeah the star of this movie, but then we also have this really fun B story that it really stars Christina Ricci. It's like they realize yeah. what a talent Christina Ricci is. So the B story is surrounds her, right? And the nanny, Joan Cusack, convinces the family to send the kids to summer camp. And they even call this, like, super privileged summer camp. Like, they talk about how privileged they are to be there. Yep. I'm like, oh, God. And it's like uh, the two camp counselors played by, let me see. Jane Krasinski. Not, no. No? Christine Barinski and Peter McNichol. Jane. You're right. Jane Krakowski. (laughs) is Jenna on 30 Rock. Boy, I just pushed those, <laughs> smashed up a bunch of words there, didn't I? <laughs> but no, Christine Brinsky, she's been in a lot of things. Yeah. I remember her mostly from the show... Sybil. Sybil. Yeah, yeah. I do too. Mm-hmm. Oddly enough, because I don't think anybody else does. Mm, yeah. She also plays the mother in The Birdcage. She's been in Mamma Mia. She plays uh, Meryl Streep's friend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, she's been in tons and tons of stuff. So, like, if you see her, you'd be like, oh, I know her. Yeah. There's a huge shot of her ass in this movie. <laughs> oh, yeah, because she, like, wiggles it. <laughs> uh, and then Peter McNichol, who was in, uh, well, he was the villain in the second Ghostbusters movie. Right. That's how I know him best. Uh, he was also in Sophie's Choice. Oh. As Sophie? <laughs> no. So, yeah, the summer camp. And this this sort of does, like, the inverse, where, like, most of the time people come into the Adams's world and right. they're forced to confront this weirdness that the Adams think are normal. And this has the opposite where they're brought into this like super saccharine wasp-y, <laughs> wasp-y world. Mm-hmm. Uh, wasp is a really good term for what this is actually. Yeah. Now that you say it, because uh, 
David Krumholtz uh, as the love interest, who's you know hyper stereotypical Jewish character. Yep. Like I feel like he is like the Barry Sonnenfeld proxy. Oh yeah. Because like Barry Sonnenfeld like does this like self-deprecating thing where it's like on the set of Men in Black, which he was the director of, he he like playfully like punched Will Smith in the arm and he like broke his pinky. <laughs> So it's like he really like plays out this like very fragile yeah. person. David Crumbles is allergic to he's everything. He's allergic to everything. He's <laughs> like, you know what happens if my mom uses a fabric softener? What? I die. And Barry Sonnenfeld plays his father in this movie. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah. So mm. it's just like I feel like yeah, Sonnenfeld like injected himself via David Krumholtz in this. That's hilarious. David Krumholtz, another great character actor in a young, young role here. He's still yeah. around today. He's in The Deuce. Hmm. Uh, I remember him from 10 Things I Hate About You. He was in 10 Things I Hate About You. Uh, he was in ER. He's Kevin, a serial killer. Kevin Clark ha- uh, has a story about David Krumholtz involving ER and a signed ER DVD box set inside Scarecrow. Mm-hmm. For uh, that story, go to Scarecrow Video <laughs> and ask for Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> No, but I love, yeah, the whole camp stuff is really great. And actually, I think that, like, it's, okay, you're going to have to just, like, sit with me here for a minute. Sure. So the moment when they're, like, doing the Kumbaya song, I had, like, a stoned thought where I was like, this is kind of like The Matrix. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Where uh, the Adams family is sort of like the oracle in that there's always going to be something that unbalances the equation. Like, you're just never going to have everybody be the same and happy and have, like, a kumbaya thing. There's always going to be someone who, or some people that don't fit in. Mm-hmm. And that's good, actually. That's life. That's okay. Yeah. I wasn't expecting to link the Matrix to Adam's family values, <laughs> but there you have it. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's actually, like, the bigger lesson of the Adam's family in general is, like... Let your freak flag fly. Yeah, there's going to be weirdos. Like, and, the, like, the best thing to do is to appreciate them and not try to make everything so samey-samey. Exactly. No, it's like, uh, like, I understand that, like, you know, there's, like, budget and things like public schools, but it's, like, has there's a controversy how, like, public schools, you have to just say happy holidays. Mm-hmm. You can't, like, and, like, for me, I was like, no, what we should do is take the time to, like, celebrate each of the holidays that happen to Equally. take place during December. Sure. And, like, do, like, this big celebration of diversity and things like that. But it's, like, instead they just, you know, make it neutral towards everything. And, yeah, it's, like, this is definitely, like, this is the, the, the camp crowd is, like, definitely the type of crowd that would be rebelling and tweeting against happy holidays in place of Merry Christmas, like. I love the scene when they're, like, casting the pageant and it's, like, all the, like, like, waspy popular kids. <laughs> girls they're like you're yeah. all the pilgrims and then there's like all the minorities and like the ugly girl and then like the girl in the wheelchair yeah. and it's like uh of course they're going to be cast as like the native american yeah and um i'm still not sure just how to pronounce this jamal 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 whatever what i like is that like the whole pageant storyline because you really believe that it's just like, oh, this is just how people talked about, like, indigenous people at the time. Mm-hmm. And this does seem fairly believable as to, like, how they would cast this as well. It's uh-huh. like, we want the apple-cheeked, snowy-white, blonde-haired pilgrims, and then everyone else is going to play Native Americans. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, and there's really no hint that the movie's going to be woke about it until 
like Wednesday like disrupts <laughs> yeah. the play. Wait. What? We cannot break bread with you. Huh? And she has her vision of the future. And <laughs> that's all good stuff right there. It's so good. I love how uh, Pugsley is the turkey singing that. Eat me! Sauteed a barbecue. Eat me! Want to rest for now or move? I don't know. It's all brilliant to me. Like, it's it's not quite the same as the first one. I kind of get these conflated sometimes. Like, the stage play in the first one where, like, mm. arms are flying and blood spurting everywhere. That's a different type of fun. But, like, man, is it satisfying when they start, like, setting the houses on fire? Oh, yeah. And you're just like, yeah, get them. <laughs> but, I mean, it, it also, like, showcases how good of an actress Christina Ricci was at this point. Because when she comes out of the Harmony Hut after having, like, having to watch, like, Annie oh. and Sound of Music. And she's, like, forcing that smile. Like, you see the pain, like, of her getting that smile up. Yeah. And I do kind of like the budding romance between her sure. and, uh, let's see, David Cromwell, uh, Joel Glicker. There's a really beautiful shot of them sitting next to each other. And, like, On the, the bench? River. Yeah. And that when he says that he might die. Yeah. And like, that's when she scoots next to him. I just was struck by how beautiful that shot was. Yeah, it was like, really nice. Really nice. But speaking of uh, Wednesday Adams' paramours, the one who is in the first one that she dances funny with. Oh, uh, uh, makes, Lumpy. Lumpy makes a return. Yeah, at the bachelor party. <laughs> yeah, it's like, hey, I know that guy. That's fun. <laughs> That's fun. So, all right, to go to the A story, Black Widow Nanny, when they go out on that date, even though I don't like the dancing stuff, like, the Fester trying to be suave. <laughs> The breadsticks. <laughs> the breadsticks. But it's like when Gomez is leading the way and he's like, we're not worthy of such beauty. And Fester's like, that's right. We should have ugly girls. <laughs> the best you can do. <laughs> I know. It's like the sen- the sentiment is the same, but it is about the delivery there. <laughs> and yeah, he's got the breadsticks up his nose. And then it's like she looks away and he like takes him out. And then when she looks back... And he's like, oh, shit, I got to put him back up there. <laughs> Suave. Suave. <laughs> that restaurant's in a cave, right? Was I, was I they wrong? They said they like, refurbished it or something. Yeah. But it did look like, yeah, the underbelly of some cave, which I would totally eat Oh, at. yeah, I've eaten in a cave. It's amazing. Oh, okay. so. <laughs> the story, like, Joan Cusack, she plays, like, the nanny who's actually this Black Widow gold digger who, like, finds eligible bachelors and like murders them mm-hmm. and takes all their money and absconds with it. Usually on their wedding night. So, all right. Slightly sloppy writing, I feel, because when she's doing the slides at the end, it doesn't sound like she killed any of them on the wedding night. Yeah, good point. Like, it sounded like she was married to them for a while. Yeah, and they didn't satisfy her yeah. properly. Like, because she was married to like mm. an orthodontist, or no, a heart surgeon. Mm. Uh, and it was like, oh, I'm sorry, honey. The Pope has a cold. I have to go. And that's when she murdered him with an axe. Maybe uh, a current affair or whatever show she was watching got it wrong. Totally could be. To- totally they just could said be. it was on their wedding night to get, you know, pull in viewers. Uh, but she murders a senator. I feel like there'd be some <laughs> sort of investigation there. Like more so than your average person. I just feel like uh, 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 something that could be seen as a politically motivated murder would probably have like the full force of Congress behind it. Yeah, good point. That's an assassination at that point. Yeah, exactly. That, like, that's that's one up from murder. Yeah. So 
there was there was stuff about that. And I was like, I feel like she would have been tracked down because like it's not like she has complete facial reconstruction surgery. No, she just changes like her that. wig. Yeah. She did go through the the whole landscape of wigs in this when they were showing like the current affairs thing. It was like, you know, first it was like the blonde bombshell, uh-huh. then it was like the the sultry brunette, then it was the fiery redhead, and then you know now she had like a blonde bob. Uh-huh. But yeah, she went through the whole gamut of wigs there. I have another note in here of a different wig is when the baby wears a wig. Oh, <laughs> the blonde. Yeah, uh, it's like baby wig, baby wig. <laughs> That's so strange to me. Why would you ever want to make that or need that? Well, see, my theory is that that was the baby's natural hair. Oh. Because the pubert was actually played by twin girls. So they probably put a black Gomez-y wig on the baby. Or like they changed one of theirs hair to look like that. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't know what the protocol is for dyeing a baby's hair, but... yeah. Because that stuff can burn. I don't know if you'd want that on a baby's scalp. Yeah. Those babies are like 20 years old now. More than that. Let's ask them. <laughs> yeah, they got to be like 25, 26. Yeah. Yeah. Let's Maybe look into 93. this. Yeah. Let's try and get them on the podcast. Tell us about your hair. I was going to say, I didn't put the, their names down because I didn't think much of it. But yeah. <laughs> Tell us about that. Because like, they'll remember. <laughs> They'll, they'll know all about it. We're gonna we're gonna FaceTime them and they're gonna have patches missing and be like, <laughs> Barry Sonnenfeld is a monster. We have a class action lawsuit between <laughs> me and my twin. <laughs> uh, also, uh, and this, and I guess on a similar note, they really dialed up the like eye lighting for Morticia on this. And sometimes one. they like missed it. <laughs> yeah, it was like, a little lazy when they go to confront them at their new mansion. She like fully like steps forward and like you see it like the 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 light move yeah. across her face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's stuff like that. I'm like, oh, this is a little rushed, a little lazy. I think what makes the audience immediately know that this is a force to be reckoned with, as opposed to like Tully in the first one, mm-hmm. is that she's confronted with their weirdness and she improvises and like gets on board with it yeah you know she walks in the house she's like oh it's so old in here and big (laughs) (laughs) and you know cousin it's on her shoulder and she sucks his finger and she's like i'm good with my hands yeah 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 yeah. Uh, thing or thing thing i'm sorry uh stuff like that like she's presented and where other people are like ah (laughs) she's here for it and she's rolling with it yeah I do love when she's like reading like the Cinderella story and she's like, Who is that man over by the punch bowl? That fascinating man. That oddly sensual man. That man who makes me quiver under my bodice. That bald man. Stupid. That's so stupid. It's so stupid. I did like oh this is, I, I wish to mention this the very opening scene of this is uh Fester like howling at the moon. Yeah. And I kind of liked how it like the movie sort of bookended by that because I read that as like Fester's still looking for love. And then at the end we meet uh Dementia, dementia. and it's like <gasps> they're perfect. Yeah. Yeah. It really is great when she pulls that hat off and it's like <gasps> oh, oh, she's bald too. Yeah, they're gonna get along just fine. Yeah. Dementia. What a beautiful name. It means insanity. My name's Fester. It means to rot. 
but Joan Cusack just... <sighs> we should talk about her big finale scene a little bit. Well, because you had questions about that when we did the first Adams Family. Oh, I did? So, okay, question, and I don't want to, maybe this is a spoiler alert for a future episode, but, like, don't they make a big deal out of electrocuting the Adams family in the second one? Like, doesn't Joan Cusack threaten to electrocute them? Pugsley gets electrocuted, but in the next scene, he's fine, and in the climax of Adams Family Values, they're all strapped to electric <gasps> chairs, and Debbie might electrocute Fester all Fester gets electrocuted in and this movie. And I was going to say, while watching it, like, he, he gets a boombox in the hot tub. and yeah, he's uh, fine. Yeah, he's fucking lighting the light bulb up with his mouth. <laughs> Come on, movie. <laughs> so, yeah, it's yeah, like... good point. I, yeah. Ryan, from the past. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to rag on your, your writer crush dude, man, but it's like they've literally already tried electrocuting Fester. In this movie. The fuck Paul Rudnick. <laughs> also, what sort of shoddy electrical setup do they have where it's like all the baby has to do is like hook up one frayed end to another? Yeah, to... Why, were, why were those frayed ends around anyway? Then yeah. it wouldn't have, wouldn't have worked anyway. Yeah, because it was like one plug went to nothing. What the fuck? <laughs> all that aside, her big monologue at the end, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. I'm just going to say it. When she's gone through the slides or? Yeah. All I ever wanted was a ballerina Barbie in her pretty pink tutu. My birthday. I was 10. And do you know what they got me? Malibu Barbie. That's not what I wanted. That's not who I was. I was a ballerina. Graceful, delicate. They had to go. Also, like, when she says, I can't remember who, which one she's talking about, but she's like, Aren't I a human I yearn and ache and shop. Back to that capitalism again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, she's money hungry. She's, you know, the ultimate oh. capitalist. Oh, that's true. Yeah, she loves it. She's practically Willy Wonka styles of capitalist. <laughs> How do you feel about Fester in a wig? <laughs> <laughs> that's another wig in this movie. Terrifying. So, in the first movie, he wore a wig that was, like, curly when he was with Dr. Penderschloss. Okay. Yeah, I kind of remember that. Uh, like, at the very beginning yeah, they when cut Tully, like, discovers that this is a person who could pass for Fester. Right, right, right. Uh, he's got, like, a, a, a fro thing going on. Sure. And this, I, I don't, what do you call this on a man? <laughs> it's like a, it's like a, um, not Prince Albert. It's a, a Prince Valiant sort of style. Yeah. But a yeah. little, but a little more like a Prince Valiant's, um. Page boy. <laughs> okay. Page boy. Page boy haircut. Okay. It's just. It's oof. awful. And he wears the turtleneck with it. Like. Oh, and like they, like Christopher Lloyd's not a fat man. Like, you know, this wasn't too far out from the uh, Back to the Future movies. Sure, yeah. Where he's like a string bean more or less in it. Yeah. But boy, he is lumpy in this movie. <laughs> they made him short and stocky. Yeah. He's like. Danny DeVito and Penguin. <laughs> I just remember when it's like right after the electrocution scene uh-huh. and he like crawls up on Debbie. I was like, oh God. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, if I had to have sex with Fester Adams, I'd probably have him just lie on his back and I'd do the rest of no the No wig. No. <laughs> but I was like, I just don't want that like crawling up on me. <laughs> Bestie horny. <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
but I don't know. There was something about that scene when he's like in his bathrobe and he comes crawling. I was like, oh god, no, make it stop. <laughs> I, I know she just tried to kill him, but she doesn't deserve this. <laughs> I mean, for scenery chewing, like the scene when she's like holding the boombox, like, would you do anything for me? Anything? Would you die for me? <laughs> yes. Promise. It's so good. Yeah. Like. I'm just, I'm with her. She's so, she's just, she grabs the screen when she's on it. You, mm-hmm. do, well, I guess I didn't mention this earlier, but like one of my favorite uh, roles of hers, and it's problematic now, but um, is her in 16 Candles, where she plays the girl with like the back brace on. Uh, yeah. She dances kind of funny in that. And like when she drinks from the water fountain, she like sticks her tongue on like, ah. ah. <laughs> uh-huh. Like she's just good at, comedy and she's good at commanding she has screen presence well she was in one season of snl like that's 85 right. to 86 or something like that yeah so she has like a comedy background i guess she's done like 10 movies with john cusack yeah she strikes me as like sort of a, a lucille ball type where like she's not afraid to like be goofy or silly or be unladylike yeah a little bit yeah because like did you ever see shameless the television show i didn't she's in like the first like five or six seasons of that too and she plays this like kinky agoraphobic. Okay. So like she can never leave her house, hmm. but she has like deep seated sexual perversions. Oh. She can play very like like you know like especially in Adam's Family Values where it's like she has to play like the put together maid and like mm-hmm. the you know a, a motherly matronly but also seductress type character, but then she can be goofy and silly and unladylike yeah. you know later on. Yeah. So she has two Academy Award nominations under her belt. Oh, do you, uh, know, do you know for what? Yeah. Uh, one for Working Girl. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She's really good in that. She's actually pretty kind of plays a serious role in that a little yeah. bit. And uh, with big hair. And uh, the other is for in and out which she is really good in. But I just remember her like in her wedding dress, like <laughs> shouting up to the sky. Is everybody gay? Anyway, love her. Yeah, I don't know if I if it was just me picking like uh, uh, Lady Double Features that I would have uh, gotten around her, but I am glad that I did it because like while watching, I was like, no, she does have a special sort of X factor to her that does make her special. Yeah. So before we get too far off Adam's Family Values, oh no, we don't have to leave it. Yeah, I I do want to go through some of the big cameos that were in this. Oh okay, yeah. So I already me- mentioned Barry Sonnenfeld plays David Crumholtz's father. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. The mom was a big one of the waspy girl. So uh, she was in Memento. Her name is Harriet Sampson Harris. Okay. Uh, she is. I know her best because she plays in Frasier, his like soul sucking, super uh, ambitious agent. Oh, okay. So like whenever he's like trying to like get like his contract up, mm-hmm. he calls in his agent. It's her. Oh, she's got a great face. She's got an Allison Janney face. Uh, Unforgettable. Uh, the father of the waspy chick is Sam McMurray, who is another great character actor, but I probably know him best as Chandler Bing's boss who slaps him on the butt. Oh, okay. Uh, Nathan Lane is in this. Oh my God, yeah, for a split second. Yeah, as like a police sergeant or chief or, or somebody. I'm not even sure he was any kind of a name at that point. <laughs> oh, he must have been. That's pre-Lion King. He had to have been somebody before Lion King. I don't know. I think he was just a stage actor. I mean, that that might be true. He could have just yeah. been a stage actor, but 
Yeah, he would have been some Butch- somebody. Butching it up for... Yeah. Uh... <laughs> and then we mentioned Christine Perinsky and Peter McNichol. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cynthia Nixon. Oh, my God. I have that note. She looks crazy. She does look crazy. <laughs> I didn't recognize her at first. I was like, who the fuck is that? And it took me a while because she doesn't have her, her signature red hair. Right. This. They uh, blonde washed her or put uh-huh. a wig on her or something, but <laughs> they just couldn't have a redhead in this. That uh-huh. was for damn sure. But yeah, she plays the hippy-dippy nanny applicant, I guess I should yeah. say. Oddly, she was in True Stories, which is what we were talking about with uh, toys a lot. She was in True Stories? Yeah, she plays the yoga instructor that uh, John Goodman <sighs> dates for a second. Yeah, that's right. That's right. She kind of has a similar vibe in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Uh, Way to lean in, Cynthia. <laughs> Good job, actually. Like, if if you are being typecast as the woo woo cuckoo, yeah, you know, why go not? for it. Oh, yeah, I like you know, it. You gotta eat. Uh, I didn't recognize it, but I saw it in the uh, in the end credits. David Hyde Pierce of Fraser fame is the delivery room doctor. No, but it's like he's got a mask on, so you can't see it. He's holding the baby and thing slaps its butt? Yeah. Oh. Or he's the one that's like giving instructions to Morticia. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I I, didn't, I don't know which one because I can't yeah, recognize him. You don't know. How can you? <laughs> when uh, Debbie like sets the bomb off or is about to and she uh-huh. goes to that bar for happy hour first. Okay. Tony Shaloub is that's one of the right. sailors in there. Playing a Mexican? Yeah, his name is Hispanic. Or... or something like that yeah that's a little problematic casting to be honest but i mean get that money but yeah so there was just a lot of like cameos in here that were a lot of fun yeah like i like the this kind of um you know thing that goes on in hollywood sometimes where it's like there's a big movie uh it's successful and it's fun yeah and then like they're gonna make a sequel and everyone's like well i want something yeah to do with the next one like i like that idea a lot there's a scene early on where like Fester's lonely and he's reading a book in bed and I couldn't make out who the author was but it was like strange men and the women who avoid them okay and maybe it's just like the DVD quality wasn't that good but I almost swore that the author of that book was Dr. Penderslosh oh or, my gosh I don't think that it was but I was like wouldn't that be a nice touch <laughs> I don't know do we do we want to talk about for a second uh cousin it's wife who was, oh, who was in, in the first one? Who was in the first one? I like how when they bring her back for this one, they do her makeup a little differently. She looks a little more Adamsy. Oh, to me, she looked like when like somebody's a corpse in a funeral, like in a coffin, and okay. they like do the rouge a little too much. Okay, and, like sure, yeah, which what, is fun. What I liked about bringing her back because she was married to Tully, mm-hmm. and then like has a change of heart after she meets cousin Ed. Right, it sort of plays into when they confront Debbie at their like mansion. But there is sort of this like forgive and forget mentality with the Adamses, because mm. like its wife was like their villain in the first movie. She was one of them, yeah. Yeah, and she switches sides, and the Adamses like they don't blink an eye. Like mm-hmm. she's part of the family now. Yeah, they're like, he tried to sneak into our family via marriage mm-hmm. and uh, steal all our money. Yeah. You were unsuccessful, but I appreciate your uh, your thought process. Yeah. So let's go have a drink. Well, because it's like if Debbie had like come around and been like, okay, Fester can come back to the family. Like, I feel like there'd be no grudge there with the Adamses and Debbie. No. Yeah. Like they they would have been like, okay, it was a sexual spell, blah, 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 blah. We're past that now. 
So I don't teach know. it to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Adamses have I I don't know a forgive and forget mentality about these sorts of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In comparison to the first, I think the first movie was a more solid like start to finish movie. And this one, it's like, I think the highs were a little higher, mm-hmm. but the lows were a little lower. And I think it just averages out to be just a modicum less for me. But you like, might be right. Like I said, it's not like, I don't think the first one's better by a country mile, but there's just, yeah, I, I think it just averages out to be just a hair under the first one. Cusack. Love her. Yeah, that was a good one. She's great. Of all of our double features, this is probably the easiest. Yeah, they, and they went together just fine. They, Yeah, I mean, they're a year apart. Yeah, like, it's very of a time. Very much our hair, heyday here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but I but don't know. similar, like, big budget Hollywood yeah. stuff. Stars we recognize. Both like directed by Berries. Berries. Wow, all Berries! I guess we should talk about what we're going to do next week. Well, we got a week off. Right, we're going to take a week off. But when we get... <gasps> just, I felt like... I think I felt... I just... I got a chill. Did you feel that? I do feel a bit clammy. Um, <gasps> the lights just went out. <laughs> oh, God. Matt? Yeah? Ryan, where are you? <laughs> Ryan? Are you okay? Ryan? What? <sighs> tell me what's going on. Ryan, just tell me. Use your words. Take a deep breath and tell me what's going on. <gasps> Just. It's Oktoberfest. No. no, no. So what do we have planned? Okay. Uh, you know what? I've wanted to do this movie for a long, 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 long time. Okay. And I kind of wanted, I wanted to wait till we did something really bad so that I could follow it up with this movie because I think it's better to ha- do this movie after watching something bad. Oh, okay. Uh, but I'm going to do John Carpenter's Christine. Mm, okay, okay, okay. I've never seen it. Okay. <gasps> this is our first John Carpenter. It is. 131. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Yeah. Sorry, John. If you have the time, like we have like a full like week off from this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you're just like if you watch something like really crummy, like a bad gay movie or something, yeah. make this your palate cleanser. Okay. Like I don't I don't know if you'll have time for that, but Oh, I can make time for a bad gay movie. <laughs> I would just yeah, watch something really crummy and then immediately follow it up with this. Mm-hmm. Because I there's really simple filmmaking in Christine that you're going to watch it and be like, well, this is already so much better. Mm, But there's like almost nothing to it. Great. So, I don't know. I feel like, yeah, having the comparison of of a bad movie with this movie like illuminates how strong a filmmaker Carpenter was. I'm already terrified of cars, (laughs) so this is great. Cool. Christine. Yeah. Wait. Yeah. Uh, Do you want to plug our junk? And get the fuck out of here? Well, we have finished the chicken picnic. Follow us on Twitter at X-Rated Movies. Follow us on Facebook at Rated X Movies. You can email us at x.rated.movies at gmail.com. 
uh, go to our website, xratedmovies.com. Apparently, it's been refurbished. It has been, yes. And leave us love, man. We love it. it. Help us feel like we're not just shouting out into the, the multiverse. Give us some uh, responses. We'd love to hear what you think about what we think. Yes. Wherever you download this podcast for free, mm-hmm. please leave us love. And uh, thank you, Joan Cusack, for making movies and being alive. Yes. You're a treasure and an inspiration. I know that much. Until two weeks from now. Keep reaching for that rainbow. Bye-bye.